Welcome, Traveler's Blueprint community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the assiduous Robert Demena. <laughs> How is everybody doing today? Um, before we get into our show, we... Is that a rhetorical question? They can't answer. It, it, yeah, it's rhetorical. How is everybody doing today? And I'm assuming they're all saying good because they're listening to our podcast. And so you can only be doing good. If you're listening to, you know, that is a fair assessment. Yeah. I would have to concur. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Um, so back to what I was saying, before we get into the episode, we can run through some of our, our partners, minivan of memories who we've talked about numerous times. We've now interviewed numerous guests from through the minivan of memories through Aldison, our friend, uh, little passports, something that I cannot wait to buy for my daughter. She will hopefully love it, but it will be a really fun, neat way to introduce her to the world, to different cultures, to the environment, and in a way that her and I can bond over. Really, really genuinely looking forward to that. We also have an Audible affiliate link. You can click on that, sign up for Audible. You can cancel it at any time, but we still end up getting a very small portion of that subscription. Uh, all three of those partnership links, the Minivan of Memories, Little Passports, and Audible can be found through the tab on our upper right-hand corner of our website. Click there. You can find them all. Check them out. Very cool stuff. Um, before I give you back to Elliot, if you could take two seconds and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this, it goes a really far away, and we really appreciate it. So today's guest is a good friend of mine from Penn State. We both went there at the same time, graduated together, and we both actually traveled abroad in Germany together for four months. He has spent two years with the Peace Corps in Zambia, and if you recall from our very, one of our very first episodes, Mel Whitman spent two years in Paraguay. We're going to get a little bit of a different experience and a little bit of a different story from Rick, who is our guest today. So without further introduction, here is Rick Hammond. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Rick? Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. It's been a while since we've talked to each other and seen each other, but I'm excited to have you on. A few months ago, we had Mel Whitman on to discuss her time in Paraguay with the Peace Corps. And since you've graduated from the Penn State Landscape Architecture Program, we've kind of went separate ways. But you have also spent two years in Zambia with the Peace Corps? Yes, two, year, two years in Zambia. All right, and we're very excited to hear your take on the Peace Corps in a very different region of the world um, and what that experience was like for you. So why don't we just start with the main reason you decided to go into the Peace Corps? Um, I think, so So I'd always been drawn to the Peace Corps um, and I really kind of wanted to use what I learned in school and apply it to something that I kind of felt was a bit more like beneficial as as opposed to just going out and kind of doing like corporate campus design or or something like that um and i felt that just being in a setting where i was able to you know kind of do something that might be helping somebody um seemed like a better option for me yeah when you when you went to zambia what year was that and how soon after graduation was it um so i left for zambia in 2015 
Um, it was probably about like six months after graduation. Um, and so in between graduation and, and leaving, um, I was fortunate enough that, uh, I'd already been working, um, for a professor. And so they just, they kept me on until, uh, December of 2014. And then I left for Zambia in, um, February of 2015. Now why Zambia? Um, I didn't really have a like a, a choice necessarily. Uh, like I I applied for the Peace Corps, and at that time you didn't apply for a country. You apply, you just applied, and they they gave me a list of like twenty countries. Um, and Zambia was everything that I wanted to be doing. Um, all of the other programs that they offered me were were teaching English, and I didn't necessarily I didn't necessarily think that I would be great at teaching teaching english or being around kids all day <laughs> yeah. um, and it felt like it felt like a better option for me to to go into um uh i was in the linking income food and environment program um and so it was a lot about teaching about conservation farming um tree planting agroforestry um and things along that line okay yeah the landscape architecture program leaves you with a very specific skill set once you graduate Penn State. And yeah, there's there's some stuff you can do. One of them is designing corporate campuses. Others are golf courses. And it's hard to find the one that fits, especially if you're looking for social justice. And I think the one you chose, I'm, I'm truly not surprised that you went and did the Peace Corps because you, you fit that role very well. And what was your experience like doing the social justice, well, the economic food and conservation? Oh, man, I, I loved it. Uh, I got to I got to be out in a field all day. I got to help farmers um, with with pretty basic like uh, farming things. Um, so a lot about just kind of uh, teaching about like crop rotation, um, just making sure that you're not planting maize in the same field year after year instead planting beans in that field like the next year um i got to do like cooking like healthy cooking demonstrations uh with with women at um under five clinics so like just teaching um some simple nutrition with with locally available resources um and i did a whole bunch of stuff with with food processing with like local local fruits what does the zambian diet consist of um so the the staple food is is shima. Um, so I don't know how familiar you are with with like uh, sub-Saharan African cuisine, but it's it's very it's it's like ugali in um, in Tanzania or uh, sansa in Zimbabwe or pap in um, in Botswana, Namibia, and um, South Africa. So it's like it's just a thick. A lump of cornmeal that you use as like a utensil to scoop up um, uh, what they call relishes, which is like the side plates. Yeah, not familiar with. Those I'm not at all. either. No, huh? You're not even with the Tanzanian one. I don't. I don't even know if I had that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very filling. It's very carb heavy, and like so, if you're if you're living a lifestyle where you're working out, doing manual labor all day. It, it's a great source of like energy, but that's, that's really all it, all it is. <laughs> so it wouldn't be good for our jobs, which are like 10 hour days sitting at a desk. Yeah. 
<laughs> <laughs> no, and like and like relishes relishes would typically be maybe like um like greens, beans, um these small dried fish called capenta. Um and then like maybe if like if you were at a wedding or a funeral or or some big event, then maybe you'd have meat. Okay. No but it's not not common to have meat at each meal? No, like really uncommon. All right. And when you say you're you're trying to help them with healthy eating habits, so when I think of Zambia, now I don't know much about Zambia, so I could be completely wrong. But it's I I would I thought that they're pretty limited in what they could eat just based on where they are and the amount of resources available. So they to teach them healthy eating habits seems, I mean, it seems like they don't have a lot of options. So so it's not necessarily. Like the 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 food the foods they have available are already pretty healthy. It's just more along the ways of how they cook. Um, so so Zambian Zambians really they only really have two spices, which would be sugar and salt. Um, okay. So they throw way too much salt into everything. Uh, I remember I was at one I was at one event and they poured like a handful of salt onto a plate and then just started dipping pieces of chicken into the salt. Oh, wow. Um and so the other thing that they do uh is they just really overcook things in oil. So like if you're making greens and you're cooking like you're cooking all the nutrients out of them in oil, uh. you're not getting any of the nutritional benefits. So it was about more um like healthy cooking stuff was like I taught a lot about um kind of utilizing some of the wild plants that are out there um, that traditionally people have been eating, but in more recent years they're, they've stopped. Um, and it kind of came along with like, with colonization, the British would label um, a lot of the, like the traditional foods as famine food. Oh. Um, and so just kind of that, that cultural and that class issue like has, has kind of shifted people away from eating what, what their ancestors would have eaten. Okay. When you when you were talking earlier, you mentioned that there's a lot of different fruits available and helping to cultivate that and kind of use those in the crop rotations. What kind of fruits are available in Zambia? Um, so that like there's a whole lot of um, of native fruit trees, and then they also have um, like the right kind of climate that they that people can grow lemon. They can grow lemons. They can grow avocados. They can grow. Um, oranges if they if they're grafting them onto a lemon uh rootstock um and then there's all of these indigenous uh indigenous fruit trees um so in my area uh there is one that i really pushed heavily on uh called um musicase uh in the local language um because that one uh it fix it's leguminous so it fixes nitrogen um and it's easily like you can you can easily lop it which means like, so you'd be able to intercrop it in with your fields um, as a nitrogen fixing tree. And then the, uh, the fruit pods on them are, it's not necessarily a fruit per se. It's like a hard kind of woody pod. Um, but if you pound it down into a flower, um, it tastes pretty good. It tastes a bit like sourdough bread would taste. Okay. Um, and so I was teaching a recipe about making a porridge with it. Um, cause, uh, it's super high in, in vitamin A, uh, which is one of the, one of the big vitamin deficiencies, uh, that like young children are getting in Zambia. 
All right. So after your, well, I should rephrase that. Your time there, did you feel like you were actually helping or did you feel like kind of an outsider intruding? How was, how were you received? Um, I definitely didn't, I didn't feel like, like an outsider who was intruding. Um, because like I, I kind of, I wasn't necessarily forcing things on people. They like the community requests for, for a volunteer to be there. Um, I don't think that I helped as many people as I, I went in like with the mindset. Um, but at the end of it, like my attitude was kind of, if I could help one person, um, like I, I, I made some sort of difference there. Uh, and I was also in the situation where I was, I was the first volunteer in that community. So it took about, it took about a year, uh, for people to kind of just to get used to me being there. Um, but the, the guy who replaced me, uh, I think has had a much easier time. Um, uh-huh. but I mean, he also, he came in with, with me leaving like people like contacts for him to work with and, and stuff like that. So you had to build that from the ground up. <clears throat> and yeah. when you arrived in Zambia, in this village, did you have an, um, an English speaking contact? Um, I would say like, so English is the official language in Zambia. And really? so a lot of people spoke, um, spoke pretty decent English. Uh, it, it was very age related. So like older, older men spoke great English. Um, and so like pe- people who were in school towards the time of independence, uh, spoke the best English. Um, and then when Zambia kind of shifted to a one party country education, you know, became the first thing that they cut off. And so like people between the ages of like 30 and 50 spoke terrible English. And then, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the younger generation spoke pretty good English too. Interesting. When was their independence? Um, sometime in the 1960s, I think. Okay. I want to say that it was, uh, 64. All right. I don't know much of the history of Zambia at all, or its current current state. No, is it, it a popular travel destination for tourism? Uh, a little bit. So Victoria Falls is right on the border okay. of Zambia and Zimbabwe. Uh, so a lot of people who are coming are going to go to Victoria Falls. Um, and then some of the national parks um, are just spectacular. Um, like South Luangwa, um National Park is... Um, I think it's I think it's one of the few parks. I think Zambia is one of the few places still that allows walking tours, like walking safaris. Oh. Um so I didn't you, even know like, that was an option. So you go you go out with like an armed arm like two armed guys <laughs> and uh just kind of walk around. Did you do this? <laughs> I know there are lions and and other predators in this in those parks. Did you actually go do on a walking tour? Yeah. It was, it was, it was great. Um, it was a really, really awesome experience. And like, uh, we spent, we spent like the whole morning tracking, um, uh, leopards. Did you find them? Uh, yeah, we ended up, we ended up finding, um, like the, these two cubs and their mother. Wow. What? Wait, so you were tracking the tracker. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's so cool. How long were you out there tracking it? Um, like in the morning. I, the guy, the guides kind of already know where they, where they're going to be at. Like, um, somebody else has maybe seen them on, on a drive like earlier. Um, so I think, I think like, like they're actually tracking them, but, but they kind of knew going in that 
there are some in that area. Uh, what are some of the other animals that you saw on the safari? Um, oh man. I mean, like on the, on the walking one, just a lot of like a lot, a lot of like antelope type things. So like kudu, um, right. Is like it- stuff along that lines. And then, then when you go on like drives, you see like a lot more. Um, so I saw elephants, I saw lions, um, buffalo, um, giraffes. Any lion um, hunts? <clears throat> no. <laughs> are you are you familiar with the Great Migration? Uh, yeah, a little bit. That's one. That's one in like um, Kenya or Tanzania. Yeah, and we had some. It was Michaela Salinas who was on uh, a few months ago. She did her honeymoon in Kenya specifically during the Great Migration. And I wasn't sure if the Great Migration, where it actually started, where they migrated from. Um, and I didn't know if that was in Zambia. I'm not quite sure. Cause, so so the Great Migration is is with the wildebeest? Yes. Yeah, because I don't, I don't know how many wildebeest are in Zambia. Like, I didn't, I didn't see any, um, and I'm not quite sure if they were there or not. Okay. Well... You're, you're the village you were staying in, how rural or su- not suburban, but what we'd call suburban in the States, what, what was the atmosphere like? Uh, it was very rural. Okay. Um, Any wildlife there? Uh, some monkeys, um, but but no, not not really that much wildlife. Um, so like outside of outside of parks and game management areas, uh, like you don't get a whole lot of like like what people think of when they think of just lions roaming around everywhere. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just like waiting outside your door. Yeah. But like, but like when you have, when you have conversations with, with a lot of the, like the older people in the community, like they'll have stories of when they were growing up and there was like, was like a lion in the village or like, um, stuff like that. So there is development, I guess, in, in the more recent generations. A little bit. (laughs) Um, I think like I think it has more to do with with the population growth and like the increase in in farming like kind of more uh kind of more of the like the commercial aspect of the farming versus just like subsistence farming which which what it would have been like 150 years ago. Okay. Um some of the stuff that you were working on for linking income food and the environment was that more subsistence teaching with the health aspect of it a little bit um a lot of it a lot of um the agricultural stuff i was teaching was more in a way that they wouldn't have to to buy as much input to put in um so like basically what happens is a lot of these a lot of these farmers will get the seed um fertilizer and pesticides supplied to them on on like a credit system and then they'll like they have to sell um all of their all of their maize back to those people and then occasionally if they have a bad year they end up owing money on top of it oh um so like it's not it's not the best system in place and it like it's just trying to trying to reduce how much people need to to pay to get to get like good yields still. Huh. That doesn't seem like it's very beneficial to the farmers. It, it's not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, now, when you were in the village, how much of the interactions did you have day to day? Like what was your living conditions? What were your eating? What was your travel? Yeah. So I, um, 
I lived in just um, a small, a small mud brick house um, on the same compound as as my host family. So um, my host, uh, his three wives, and like twelve children. Um, wait, wait. <laughs> he had three wives and twelve children. That. And, yeah. and he was your host family, so I'm assuming you got a little close with them. That had to be a, yeah. a, a culture shock and an interesting experience, just being around that situation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I don't necessarily know what my opinion. I didn't like. I mean, I didn't really have an opinion on polygamy before. Um, it wasn't something. It wasn't something that I dealt with before going to Zambia, and it wasn't something that was ever really on my mind. Um, and I still don't necessarily know how I feel about it now. I mean, like my host, my host family was great. My host father treated all his wives with a lot of respect. Um, but there were families, like there were other polygamous families where I don't think it was a great situation. Right. Okay. Um, and at least like uh, his his three wives all got along really well. Um, but again, like that's not always the case. Like um, one of my one of my friends, uh, her host family. Um, I think, I think she had five, five host moms. Um, and one of them was like, one of them was just hated by everybody. That does not seem like a good situation. No, No. but I guess, so in your situation, you had this guy who with, with these three wives and did they all have a different role within, within the family? How does this actually Um, logistically? Not so, so each, each wife has their own house. Okay. Um, and each wife cooks for their own children. And then my host father would, would rotate, uh, houses. So he'd spend a week with each wife and then whoever he was staying with was the one who was cooking for him. Okay. And would you hang out with him and then follow him to each wife's house or no? Um, I, I got, uh, so his, his first wife, his first wife, um, his first wife, I would say was very independent. She did her own thing. Um, I think, I think he got two more wives because she didn't want to have any more kids because his other two wives are like 10 years younger than his first wife. Okay. Okay. Um, but I, I got along best with, with his third wife. Um, so she like, uh, when when I when I moved into the village, she referred to me as her as her firstborn, um, and like she was just kind of like a mother. That's yeah, that's interesting. Did you ever end up having a conversation with any of the wives or your host father about the differences between American uh, culture and you know uh, the idea of only having one wife <laughs> compared to what it was like there? Um, yeah, sometimes, but I mean, like even in even in Zambia uh polygamy is like it's it's kind of a tribal thing so like uh the tonga who were the tribe in the region i was in um have historically practiced it and other some other tribes in the country don't okay. um and especially like some of the some of the churches um will will kind of deter people from polygamy and like even like even the way the the tax benefits are set up and stuff um you can only legally marry one of them. Oh. Like, so like you're only legally married to one wife. Okay. So my question that I was going to ask earlier is that I guess they don't really marry all three at the same time. No. (laughs) 
So there's, are there even, are there weddings for each marriage? Do um, they have weddings? Yeah, they, like there, there are definitely weddings. I don't necessarily, I don't think I ever went to a wedding for somebody's like second or third wife. Um, so I don't actually know. It's interesting now. <laughs> it, that, it's an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> but you have been to a wedding of a first wife. Yeah. What is that like? Um, they wedding weddings are. I feel like you like in America, like a wedding, like you want your guests to have a good time. In Zambia, when you're when you're a guest at a wedding, you're just kind of a spectator. Like you're not really participating in things. You're kind of just watching this this ceremony happen, and then you have a meal, and then they will sit everybody down, and they will announce all of the gifts that they've received and who gave them (laughs) did you give a gift that's a good way to get a yeah uh i think i was part i i think i was part of like a village gift all right like i think i think as like a village we gave a lot of money or something i don't i don't remember well if i were to get if i were ever to get remarried uh, I think I would do that at my next wedding just so that everyone is aware that I am going to announce what gift they got and they will buy me something great because they do not want to be embarrassed. Well, I'm not going to Elliot's second wedding. Um, so, all right. So that's super interesting. I, I wasn't really expecting that. Any other major cultural would, differences yeah. between Zambia and the United States? Um, I mean, it, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of... I mean, like it, it's it's a very different country than the U.S. Um, and pe- like, I think I think it's more of like a it, it's more of like it's more of a society where where people like share a lot too. Like, yeah. like, like it, it it's hard to explain. Like, it's I th- I mean I think more I have an like idea community it, based. Yeah, so you know you have these older I don't want to call them older, but they're it's more yeah of a community base. Is that what you just said, Elliot? Yeah. Yeah. When we, we, one of my cousins just married, uh, got married two years ago and she was on the podcast as well. And she had spent uh, 17 years in Turkey. And one of the main cultural differences she highlighted is how in Turkey, people will lie to maintain peace, sort of. Yeah. And just like for the betterment of the community and for the betterment of everyone around you like you don't you don't say the truth to a person in front of a room of like 10 people you just lie and everything's peaceful that was one thing that she pointed out that was very interesting and something that we don't really do in the u.s like we tell people hey your breath stinks in front of like six other people (laughs) yeah i i would say that zambia is is very is very similar to that Okay. Um, and like, I don't know. It's just, it's a very welcoming society. Like, um, after, after I finished my Peace Corps service and I was just traveling around, um, the country, uh, I was at this one place and this guy, this guy was kind of just following me. So I started a conversation with him in Tonga and then he invited me to his home to meet his wife and his, and his child. And then uh, it took me over to his friend's place, and like uh, I had lunch with him and his friend. That's awesome! Wow! And like that's something that like I don't know. I don't. I don't think I would be like comfortable in the U.S. if like a stranger was just like come with me to my home and meet my family. No. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a different, it's a different <laughs> sensation, different perception. Like you do, I mean, it seems like you felt comfortable enough to do that because it's yeah. that kind of culture. Yeah. And the U.S., if someone does that, they're like a Craigslist killer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not a very trusting society, you know, but no. No. how, um, how isolated are they in regards to, you know, the internet and knowledge of what's going on in the world around them? Um, I guess, and and where do they, at least the village that you were in, stand economically? Are they a financially stable village? Did they have decent schools and and hospitals and things like that? Um, no, I mean school school wise, uh, the school the school was a bit better, but they had um, there was like a church in San Antonio that was funding their school, so like they had built. Um, a couple, a couple blocks of classrooms and teacher housing. Uh, so th- like the school was better than some other government schools. Um, and then like health wise, like, uh, we had a small, like a small, uh, health post, um, and they can, they can handle some, like, uh, some small things and they, you can go there to, um, to give birth. But I mean, it, it wasn't really like the best, uh, health situation, um, and then like the closest hospital would have been, um, in the closest, the closest town to me was maybe 40 kilometers away. Um, and so if you needed a, like a hospital, you would have to go wow. there. Okay. Um, and it, there wasn't like an ambulance or anything. Yeah. What is the primary mode of transportation for people? Um, so like within the village bicycle, and then if you're, if you're going to an, uh, like if you're going to a town, um, you would probably take a minibus. A minibus, okay. So, and like, we they, were... Are they pretty uh, common and available? Yeah. Um, especially, like, uh, I was... The the province that I was in um, is is where Victoria Falls is. Um, so there's a pretty nice road from, from the capital, Lusaka, to um, Livingston. Um, and I was, like, six kilometers off that road. So there was a lot of... There was a lot of traffic on it. Okay. All right. And what kind of like entertainment activities did you do? And was, I guess, electricity, if internet was available, did you have electricity as well? Uh, I had, I had no electricity, um, no running water. Um, So I would, I had some solar chargers um, that I could charge like my phone from, and I had like a small solar lamp. Um, Oh, that's cool. And then like, Internet wise, um, I mean, I got I had three G service in oh, my really? in my area, so I just used my phone for internet. So you stayed huh. pretty well connected while you were out there. You weren't completely oh, yeah. isolated. Okay, um, there was like there was like a, a three month period where where I had no no um, like mobile connectivity because um, they took the tower down to rebuild it on the other side of the road i, I don't huh. i don't that, really know wait, how long did that take like three months Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> okay and so um, you were just out for you well you didn't have any connection to the outside world for like three months What'd yeah i'd have to i'd have to like bike um i'd have to bike like maybe uh three or four kilometers at that time and then i would get uh service okay Huh. That's really interesting. And what did you do for water if you didn't have access to access to it? Um, so for the first for the first year, um, 
my water source was like half a kilometer away. Um, and it was like a, a hand pump. Um, and so I'd bike, I'd bike to the hand pump, um, and like tie two 20 liter jerry cans to the back of my bike. Um, then you go to the pump, you fill them up, you put them back on your bike and bike home. Um, and then, uh, the, the second half of my service, um, they drilled a new borehole, um, like right on my host family's property. Great. So no uh, more so, biking. So I didn't have to, I didn't have to bike to get water. I could just walk <laughs> like 10 feet. Uh, and that was great. Man, it's the little things in life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like Did water. it change your perspective on a lot? And, and, you know, especially on appreciating these resources like fresh water. Um, yes. Especially, especially when water was like, a lot more difficult. Like when I had to bike to get water, um, I used it a lot more sparingly. Yeah. Uh, I didn't bathe as much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when, when water was closer, um, I mean, it was just, it was less of a hassle. Like it was let, it wasn't, it wasn't like half an hour out of my day. It was like right. 10 minutes. But I mean, at, at yeah. one point water was a half an hour away. And some of these people, that's how they grew up. That kind of, it blows my mind. Yeah. You know, it's humbling in a way to know that, you know, I've never had to experience anything like that. Yeah. That's one of those things in life that we just take for granted so much and that it's just expected. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How often no. did you have to travel to get water? Was that like a daily activity or did you do it once or twice a week? Um, It was probably every two days. Okay. Um, I mean, it depended it depended on how fast i i went through 40, 40 liters of water yeah and you had to use that for everything for like drinking water yeah drinking water cooking um uh gardening um everything everything that you needed water for yeah interesting what about uh the bathroom um was that a yeah latrine? i mean i yeah i just had a, a pit latrine okay and what is that what is that like um honestly i prefer it it was it was a lot better than using a traditional toilet in what yeah. way um i don't know it was just it was easier um i don't know I mean, it, was, it was just like a faster process I, i'd say <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to go into too many details but why yeah. why why was it faster and can you describe what so what is a pit latrine i mean so it it it's just a hole in the ground. Okay. Okay. That's, um, what, and then, that's what I thought. <laughs> and you just, you just kind of squat over a hole. All right. My experience in Tanzania was we had, we had toilets, but they were just like built flush with the ground. And that's what most Tanzanians were used to. The ones that had a little bit of money had those rather than just the hole in the ground because they could still run water through and drain it away. But yeah. the, the six weeks I spent there, kind of changed my perspective on using the bathroom because <laughs> I preferred it as as you mentioned I prefer it over a traditional western toilet. I think yeah. it is better. I think it's more comfortable. I think it helps the movement a little more. Are you talking yes. about a pit latrine still, Elliot? A, a sort of, yeah, but so the the <laughs> toilet we had in Tanzania was it was just like a porcelain bowl, but it was flush with the ground. There was, it wasn't. Yeah. Like that's seat. what I, so you that's what I dealt with it. in Asia when I was in Thailand. Yeah. 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 They're way better. And even, even in the U S we have little, little stools 
for kids, like the squatty mm-hmm. potty. And that's essentially the same thing, but we don't, we need them for adults. I haven't found one for an adult. Yeah. I, that's just something I don't think you're ever going to change with American culture. We're, we're using the toilets forever. Let's make a toilet revolution. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at pictures of it and it, of the latrine and it looks like this this drawing that i'm looking at is this guy just basically squatting within a shelter he's hugging his knees for some reason and he's going to the bathroom into a hole which then just goes to a pit where does this pit you know so i'm looking at this and now you're gonna have all this fecal matter sit in this pit in the earth and then you have a water well probably not too far away yeah well i mean so so the depth the depth to the water table was probably like forty okay. meters, mm. um, and like the like the pit latrine was probably like right ten okay. feet deep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, even in the U.S., and, like we are our onlot septic systems, like they're just mounds that sit on the earth, like for one acre lots. They just and they just filtrate through like a mm-hmm. sand media. And all you have to have is like a yeah. hundred foot isolation between your well water and your septic. Right. So it's not it's not that different. It's just as Americans, we don't see it. When we flush it, we don't know where generally we don't know where it goes. But with a pit latrine, you definitely know where it goes. Yeah, because it just stays there. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens when it fills up? Um, I think they just cover it up and then they dig a new yeah. one. Okay. Uh I don't know. I I mean, mine mine was nowhere near <laughs> filling up. Um, All right. I don't know. I I used one once that was almost filled, and it, it's not pleasant. Right. <laughs> I, a quick sidetrack. There is the new series uh, Jack Ryan mm-hmm. on Amazon. Have you guys have. watched yeah. that at all? So there's when they're uh, when the mom and the daughters are on their way to the coastline, and they get they on the truck and then they go into the tarp camp of toilets. That's what I imagine as like a pit latrine, except for that wasn't a hole. It was just going straight onto the ground. Yeah. No, these, these were a little bit better than, than that. Okay. All right. (laughs) Flies everywhere. All right. So to change the subject, uh, when you spent two years there and you spent all two years with the same host family, did you build relationships with the kids at all? Did you make any friends while you were there that have kind of lasted through your trip back to the U.S.? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like my one of my host brothers um, was the same age as me. Uh, so like he was he was one of my like best friends in the, in the area. Um, I, I taught him how to play Monopoly. <laughs> so. <laughs> We we played Monopoly a lot. Did you win all the time because you told didn't tell him all the rules? No, because when you play Monopoly with just two people, it's pretty. Uh, it all really comes down to luck. <laughs> ah, yeah, it does. <laughs> That's true. Um, and then when you before you left, did you have any relationships in the U.S. like girlfriend at all? No. Okay. Uh, I mean, I was. I was I was leaving the like I knew I was leaving the country so I wasn't like I know I wasn't going to put myself in a yeah. position like that. Yeah. I mean and you spent you spent 2 years. This might be a little forward of me, but did you build any intimate relationships with anyone while you're over there? Oh, I mean, yeah. All right. All right. Um I mean like uh I mean and I still like I still keep up with I still keep up with a lot of um a lot of people that like I connected with, like um a lot of friends um, my host family, 
Um, if if people have WhatsApp, it's easier for me to stay in touch with them. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I have to. Otherwise, I have to like call. Yeah. Um, and then you know, people may a lot of times like a lot of times when I try to call my host family, they don't answer or like they're out of um a, out of coverage area. Okay. Um, and then like uh, I don't know, communicating with people over WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger um is 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 how I stay in touch with a lot of a lot of my friends. All right. Was it was it difficult to build the relationships? Like how did you kind of find the common ground to start talking to people? Were there like bars? <laughs> there karaoke clubs? <laughs> um I don't know. I mean like in the in 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 the village setting, I mean it's just like you're ma- you're like you're making friends because you you like I don't know, one of my one of my best friends in the village, like uh I took the wrong turn one day and that's how I met him. Like I was trying to go somewhere else and then I went that way. And then, um, he invited me to his home and now I like, uh, now he calls me a brother. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and like in terms of like, like in terms of like, like, like the more intimate relationships, like, um, I was within, I like, I was only two hours from the Capitol. So like, I kind of, I met a lot of people just like swiping on Tinder in the village. Yeah. Um, I mean, and like, that was like, like, I don't know, you you meet, you meet people in, in the capital who like, yeah, they're from like a different country, but they're going to have, you know, like they're, a lot of times they were in university or they'd finished university and it's like, it it was just kind of a more relatable. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's interesting. That's really it. Yeah, that is. And were was it a diverse um, demographic that you were meeting? Um, not yeah. necessarily. I would say, I mean, like Zambia is a pretty like homogenous society. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and for the most part, like I don't know, uh, like white Zambians aren't aren't the best people. Why so? <laughs> huh. Uh, I mean, like. It's still a lot of a lot of white Africans in general still have kind right. of a colonial mindset, uh, um, and it's still I, I don't know. I mean, like a lot of them are a lot of a lot of the, like a lot of the white white farmers near me um, had moved from Zimbabwe into Zambia, so they had a lot of resentment towards the current situation in Zimbabwe, um, and they're not like they're not very tolerant. <laughs> what is the current situation in Zimbabwe? I mean, well, so like they, they fled Zimbabwe after Mugabe took over. Um, I mean, now the current situation is, uh, I mean, Mugabe is not in power anymore. Um, but the same party is still in power. Um, was it not favorable to like white Africans? Like, why did they, why did they feel they had to leave? I'm not entirely familiar. Oh with yeah. The they were, uh, Mugabe was, was like, uh, seizing land from from white farmers to redistribute to like to black Zimbabweans, oh. um, but in reality they just redistributed to like party supporters. Ah, oh, wow. oh. <laughs> uh, and like he kind of he like looked the other way and let like people kind of like violently take over the land. It's interesting. Is there a large population of like, essentially British descendants that? stayed there I, you know I, that's something that i'm not really familiar um, with not not really like I, I wouldn't say it's that large of a population i think a lot of people 
a lot of people after independence yeah. sort of left. Okay. Um, but I mean, like there, there's still some, and like the, the vice president from like three years ago is, is a white okay. Zambian. Um, and like, but, but there's still kind of that just, just a lot of them, I would say just kind of feel that they're superior. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, we have those kind of white. Yeah, people it seems to be US a common too. theme. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I, I guess I, we should get maybe into the logistics. I think you know it would be a good idea to maybe if for people listening that want to join the Peace Corps that you know might not know where to start, maybe you can give like a brief summary on how you how you began your research and you know the steps that you took to spend two years in Zambia. Yeah, I mean. Um, Penn State was like fortunate enough that like at all of our uh career fairs uh Peace Corps always came. Um and like actually one time there was an alumni from um Penn State Landscape Architecture who had who had served in the Peace Corps and he was able to share kind of his uh experience and that sort of led me on that path. Um and then it was just going out and going through the whole like application process. I I submitted my application in in February of 2014, um, and then I left for Zambia in February of 2015. Um, so, like the whole thing was about a year, but I think since that time they've streamlined it a little bit more. I was going to say that's a mm-hmm. long time. Yeah, well, and especially like you you receive an invite to a country, but then you have to go through the medical screening and the uh the security like clearance and so you don't even necessarily know at that point if you if you're gonna go yet like you've been invited but you haven't officially been accepted okay so they're still doing like their background check (laughs) yeah so like even even at that time it was like i still had to keep options open like i still had to apply for like for jobs oh man like because it was like I'm pretty sure I'm going, but yeah, I don't know yet. <laughs> yeah. So from from application submission, when you got all of your ducks in a row and you actually submitted the application, how long did it take or for them to fully accept you? And were there intermediary steps involved? Yeah. So so after after submitting the application, um, it took them my next my next step in the process was an interview, and that was like a month after submitting the application. Um, then after the interview, I was invited to Zambia in June, in like late May, early June of 2014. And that's when you start doing, um, your medical, like your medical clearance and you mail in your, uh, your fingerprints to the, to the FBI. Oh, um, all right. and so like medical wise, a lot of vaccines, um, like a full physical, an eye exam, a dental exam. Um, and I finished all of that probably by like August. Um, and then in August I received my, uh, my acceptance. Wow. So that was about six months to get the acceptance. And then do they have set dates that they send you over? Yeah. So, um, I, the programs all arrive at like, like in Zambia life, Life and uh, the fisheries program wrap um, arrive in in February, and then the health and education programs arrive in um, I think May. 
Okay. Um, and so like, there's, there's like, there's a set date. Um, I had to, we all met in, in Philadelphia for one day and then they bust us from Philly to JFK and flew us to, um, to wow. Zambia. All right. The first time you went to Zambia for the medical, did you actually have to go to Zambia? Oh no. Oh, okay. uh, I, I just went to, um, uh, I was living in, in state college at the time. So I just went to uh, the hospital there. Okay. Okay. Um, and then like, uh, fingerprint, fingerprinting was the most difficult thing. I had to go to, um, to the center County prison. Oh. Um, and they, the only way you could pay was with a money order. So I had to go to who does that anymore? I had to go to the gas station across the street from the prison and get a money order. What? And then like the prison was like, uh, everybody else in like the area, you know, is, has just like, they're like, they're going through processing. Like they've just came, they've, they've just come from court and they're in like, they're in this area waiting to be processed. And like, so like the guards are all pretty rude and they're like, so what did you do? And I was like, oh, I didn't do anything. I'm going, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to Africa and I need fingerprints for that. And then they were a lot nicer to me. That's funny. Oh, man. Um, and then you mentioned that Peace Corps kind of bust you from Philly to JFK. And then they they paid for your flight to and yeah. from. Okay. Did you did you visit the States or visit anywhere else during those two years in Zambia? Um, so I, I wasn't planning on coming back to the States at all during that time, but then my friend got married. Uh, so I flew from Zambia to Hawaii for his wedding. Wow. <laughs> um, and that, that was, uh, that was the long, it was like did a full go, day of travel. <laughs> did you have a layover somewhere in the South Pacific? No. So it was, uh, Zambia to Dubai, Dubai to Seattle. Whoa. And then Seattle to Kauai. That seems like he, he kind of went out of the way there. <laughs> he didn't go past Hawaii. No, oh, wait, Dubai. Was, so he went up wait. to Dubai and then west. Was it west or east? Yeah. Uh, so we like flew over the – we flew over mm. like Europe and the Arctic and like uh, down over Canada and then into Seattle. Okay. I guess that's that yeah. is more linear because I was thinking strictly east to west, not that you I can go nowhere that. and it's the same <laughs> distance. <laughs> It's funny. Yeah. It's funny how spheres work. Yeah, but the earth. Um, and I then, the earth and then in 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 Africa, I traveled to Malawi, um, Namibia, um, Zimbabwe, and and a lot around uh, Zambia. So, if you could sum up your favorite nice. thing about Africa, what would it be? Oh man, definitely the the people. Um, everybody, everybody, everybody I met um, throughout Zambia. Um, and Malawi and like kind of in my travels was just so friendly. Um, and like, like there, everyone is, everyone's just so open it. Like they're so welcoming. They're so friendly and they just, they just kind of want to get to know people. Yeah, that is. That's awesome. And one of the things we touched on with Mel was the Peace Corps may not necessarily be the most financially lucrative job in the world, but you gain a lot of cultural knowledge. You gain a lot of, like self-respect and all sorts of other things. Um, when you came back to the States, I mean, five years at Penn State isn't cheap. And weren't you out of state? Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel like the Peace Corps 
was able to help you enough financially to come back and not feel overburdened with tons of student debt? Um, not necessarily. I mean, the Peace Corps, you come back and you get, uh, you get like a readjustment allowance, um, which really just like affords you the ability to, you know, like maybe pay like two months rent (laughs) and then, and like, uh, get some like clothes and, um, you know, just like work on kind of finding a job. I mean, like I was, I was fortunate enough in that, like, um, like I have, Mm -hmm. I have my parents that I could stay with. So I was, I was staying at my parents' house, um, until I was able to get work. Um, I mean, and then like, I, I also probably used most of my, most of my readjustment allowance to bring my dog back from, from Zambia with what? me. What? Oh, you brought your dog with you. Wait. <laughs> what kind of dog? Yeah. So he's just a, he's just a village mutt. Um, oh, so yeah, he's you, next to me right now. You, you befriended this dog. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So I, Here, get, um, get another, yeah, get the cat. Uh, he ran away. And, uh, I did. I was going to get a <laughs> no, screenshot. He, uh, so I, I had, when I moved into my village, um, my host family gave me a puppy. And then a month later, um, the puppy died of parvo virus. Uh, and so that was really depressing. And then a week later, I was biking somewhere. And this guy was just like, in local language, he yelled puppy at me, and then told me to follow him. And then I followed him. And he handed me uh, my current dog. Wow. And I was, wow. put him in my bag and biked home. <laughs> That's <laughs> And you had him since. That's pretty cool. And I, I know that there's like yeah. this whole process with vaccinations and things like that to get a dog into the United States. I, I think I had to do more stuff on the Zambian side. I had to get so many things signed. I had to get like all of these vaccinations. And then I came to the US and nobody looked at anything. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And it was like... I don't know. I I kind of I feel like I feel like that's something that that our customs officials should be doing is I think examining so. yeah. <laughs> like the health records for living animals that are yeah. being brought yeah. in from a foreign country. But <laughs> huh. that's pretty cool. I had not even considered that as an option. Like the fact that you <laughs> made friends with a dog and then you became so attached and well you guys both became attached and brought it back to the states that's an awesome story is it a uh, male or female uh, it's a male what's his name mapenzi benzi it means it means problem <laughs> <laughs> is that tongan yeah nice oh yeah you mentioned i completely glazed over this earlier but you mentioned you were having a conversation in tongan did you <laughs> learn tongan while you were there yeah so we had um peace corps gives us three months of training uh, when we first arrive in country. So we're all at like all of the volunteers are at a training center. Um, and they teach us language and, uh, technical training. And then after those three months, they send us out to the villages. Okay. Oh, that's kind of nice. It's better than just throwing you in a, in the water and hoping that you swim. Yeah. I think, I think that's what, I think that's what they used to do in like the sixties when they started it. Mm. <laughs> Um, and I don't think that that was really the best approach to things. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. Overall, uh, would you recommend other people take the same path you did? And would you rate your overall experience as worthwhile? Uh, I would definitely rate my overall experience as worthwhile. Um, I mean, like, it really, it depends on the person. 
like so so many people have asked me if I if I would recommend it for like recommend it and it really just depends on if you're the type of person that that wants to do yeah, it and would see the benefit like, in doing it for themselves. Yeah. Like if if you don't if you're not somebody that can that can deal with kind of like stress and isolation and um just a lot of a lot of downtime then no it's it's not the it's not the best fit. Yeah. When I was doing some research on the your program that you did in Zambia, um, a YouTube video came up of a girl that, and I had it in the email that I sent you. She just kind of compiled her experience into this little video, and it's I think it's mostly there's no dialogue. It's just a compilation of her like daily routine, and it's kind of cool. Um, but it she did it with her husband which I didn't yeah. even know was an option. I didn't know you could choose to go with someone. Yeah, now um so I think I think married couples have been able to go since since the like since the inception. Um but just recently they allowed um non-married couples. Um oh. so like if you're if you're in a relationship with somebody, you can you can apply together with them. What if it's just like a friend relationship? I don't think I don't think that they like they'll let you do that. Okay. I think I think they you just don't tell them. Yeah, I th- I th- and um, they they also recently like allowed like same sex couples. Wow, um, that to go. That's really but awesome. I would say depending on where you are, like you'd probably just be introducing them as your friend. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was really insightful. It was a very. It seems like you had a very different experience than Mel had, and. I know her summation was kind of that she was really glad she did it, but she wouldn't do it again. Yeah, I think I think it varies so much just on 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 country, like on where where you're at and what kind of your community is like. What was Mel's um, job there? I don't remember. It was somewhat similar. She was she was in a rural village in Paraguay. She was helping with food and kind of ecosystem, but she had a lot of issues with electricity, with internet connections, with water. And the, the people there had a very different cultural perception of what a woman should do. Like even drinking beer was frowned upon for a woman. So I, I think her experience was overall, she, said she was glad she did it but it was very difficult but yeah. i really i do appreciate it. and it was great to catch up with you and you said you're working at an engineering firm down in dc area yeah that's cool that's cool it's very different <laughs> than farming oh yeah <laughs> uh do you find any anything that you really like to do in zambia that you kind of miss from your daily routine daily life in the u.s Oh my god, I miss I miss being able to bike everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um and I miss kind of just like I miss not having to drive. <laughs> yeah. I could see that. I I I I'd imagine that biking through Africa would be pretty awesome. And then you're in yeah. a pretty congested part of the United States. So, yeah, yeah. I could see that. <laughs> but any uh last words? Oh, also, do you have any did you do a blog at all while you were out there or any way for if people no. have questions, would you feel comfortable giving like an email out for people to answer? Um, yeah. I mean, if people, if people have questions, they can email me. Um, I mean, my email is uh, rjh5244 at gmail.com. Okay. Um, or uh, no, that's pretty much, 
That, that's how they can get in touch with me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. It was, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it was great. All right, guys, that's our show for today. Rick provided a lot of really fascinating insights into living in a very and vastly different country than ours. And I have always kind of wondered about the whole dating thing while in a country that is so different from the United States or even Europe for that matter. And I was genuinely surprised that it's just as easy as it is here. I mean, they use Tinder. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. So one of the things that I was thinking about as we were listening to his stories was just how cool our experience is to be able to sit down with people that do these things around the world. You know, you would hear about people joining the Peace Corps and going on these mission trips or just going to these unique locations throughout the world, but you really don't get the good, you know, the uh, the meat and potatoes, I think is the saying, of like their stories. And now with this podcast, we have the opportunity to do that. And that was an awesome, fascinating story. I mean, a, a nice little window into his life and his experience there. So I'm I'm pretty appreciative of that. Yeah, yeah. It, this definitely isn't getting old. No. And I'm going to go through a typical spiel as fast as I can. Please give us a rating on iTunes, wherever you're listening. Follow us on social medias, all of them. Um, share us with your friends and family. And, you know, we really really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and hopefully we're entertaining and you actually like listening to us. Ooh, you know what I want to say? If you're listening to this and you have a vacation planned somewhere in the world, but you want more information on that country, whether it's for food or hiking or whatever it is, send us an email, say, Hey, I'm going to, I don't know. I'm going to hike Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, You should try to find a trekking company that organizes tours up the mountain because that would be really cool. And I would like to hear that. We will do that. We are more than happy to accommodate our listeners and help them get the information they need for their trips. So please do not hesitate. Send us an email with wherever you're planning on going and we will try to help you do some research. Thanks for listening.